Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central Podcast. Day two of the Gabba Test is in the books. We got a full day's play. Not only that, we had of course an additional hour, half an hour at the start of the day and half an hour at the end after we lost time on day one and Australia. The upshot of it all, seven for 343 in response to England's 147 all-out, a lead of 196 uh, with three wickets remaining in their first innings. Uh, Just two days into the test match, um, a lot has happened. 17 wickets have fallen. First and foremost, we have to go check in with our English compadre, Pearson. you weren't that optimistic. Well, you were optimistic. You predicted Australia would be four for 50 at the end of the day's play um, today. Um, I guess if you had a, a pommy depression index and one was everything's fine and dandy and, and 10 was we may as well call off the tour now, where are you feeling? Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. When we had our podcast last night, I said we'd take four wickets. It turns out we took seven. I'd count that as a win, actually. That's three more than I predicted. You may have scored an extra 300, but that's beside the point. I don't think we were, well, we were pretty bad, but I don't think we were that bad. I thought Robinson was good. I thought Wood was good. I thought Wokes was, he was meh. He could have been better. He could have been more threatening, but he bowls dots. And it's best to not talk about Jack Leach. But... I, we'll, we'll do all right. We've had better days. I think we can condemn ourselves to wanting rain for the next three days straight. But who knows? I think it rains in Brisbane. I reckon we'll get out with a draw. Very optimistic as usual. I don't want to jump the gun here, but it's certainly looking like a long tour for England. Uh, a lot of misery on that side of the ledger. We'll go to Australia first um, and with Prabs. Marcus Harris falls early um, for three, edging one to the slip. So that's Another failure for him. He's someone who you feel like the spot isn't fully confirmed. We know Kawaja's in the wings. Um, David Warner, the score sheet reads 94 off 176. What that doesn't show is uh, England a few chances. I mean, uh, first of all, Ben Stokes comes into the attacks, you know, uh, bowls him, you know, beats him all, ends up a good delivery. And then we, of course, learn that um, he overstepped front foot, no ball. We'll get on to the controversy with the no ball later. Then he's dropped by Rory Burns, just coming out of the lunch break. That was a sitter. Um, and then Haseeb Hamid misses a kind of close range run out. Um, three chances. Warner gets to 94. How do you rate um, the innings weighing up those chances? Uh, but he still got to 94. Yeah, well, he's, he's certainly very lucky, isn't he? But uh, I think England have only got themselves to blame. You know, they, they could have considered themselves unlucky in that initial stage and they had lots of plays and misses, but uh, no ball, drop catch and miss run out. So they can only, you know, point the finger at themselves. Uh, Warner, he, he likes to play shots. He slashes his bat often and he often plays away from his body. So he, I guess, lives by the sword, dies by the sword. Um yeah, sometimes it'll pay off. He's, it looks like he's got the eye for it. Um, and yeah, he's, he's come off with a lot of runs today. So irrespective of whether he's deserving of uh, a 94, he's actually played the shots to get there. And at the end of the day, it's very well batted. Yeah, indeed. And you're right. I mean, nothing was going right for the English early. You talk about a lot of edges falling short. Um, there's certainly always a lot of players and misses, as you're saying, with Warner paying, playing in the bat away from his body. Um, we should talk about this Stokes incident. As mentioned, he was on 17. It looked like almost the perfect start um, for England. What's happened with the technology in recent years? They've gone away from the on-field umpires watching the front foot. It's now done 
Um, well, first of all, it was done just for wicket balls check with the third umpire. Now the third umpire is traditionally check will check every ball. They will have a video feed and they will relay down to the on-field umpire. Um, uh, Rod Tucker in this case, let him know it'll be a no ball. Um, very clear the wicket ball was a no ball, but Channel 7 went back and looked at all of the balls in that over and they were all no balls, the three in the lead up um, to the wicket in particular, leading many to believe why hadn't the third umpire picked up on it. Um, Ali Mitchell for Seven would later on report that the technology is broken down. Um, we'll go to you with Pearson because the English probably suffered over this. I mean, realistically, if Rod Tucker calls it or the third umpire calls it on the first ball of the over, he'll have readjusted uh, and he'll be um, you know, in a legal position. Whether or not he still bowls the, bowls the good ball, we don't know. But I guess frustrating that in the biggest series in world cricket, technology um, has to let the side down. Yeah, well, we've, we've proven in two days of Ashes cricket that Ashes should only be hosted in England. It rains at the Gabba, it rains in England, and we have technical failings here that we don't in England. But yes, it was it was a poor decision. I must admit, I mean, Stokes didn't only no-ball those first four. In his first 31 deliveries, he bowled 14 no-balls, which is quite a considerable number. Now, why there's why they're allowing there to be such technical faults in the middle of a massive Ashes series, I have no idea. But it seems to me that there's not much we can do. These are things that should have been sorted miles in advance, but I think we've seen, as actually arguably the no balls themselves belie, the players and the technological aspect are lacking because of a lack of preparation. But we'll see what happens. Ideally, this gets improved when we get to Adelaide and the future tests, but I don't know what the technological outlook is with this stuff. Well, and indeed, Australia can feel hard done by. That's 15 extra runs they would have received. Um, yes. So I guess the blame went down from the third umpire. It was He was acquitted. He didn't have a role in it to Rod Tucker, the on-field umpire. So now we have a situation where after a couple of years of being taught to not watch the foot, you know, trained to just watch straight down the wicket, now Rod Tucker and Paul Rifle were asked to look down and watch the no balls. They missed a lot, and they did start calling a couple. There was certainly, um, uh, you know, a, a few amount that were called later on in the day particularly off Stokes um, by Tucker. But in the end, that's their best chance. And of course, drawing people back to, um, I believe it was Tom Curran at the MCG when David Warner was on um, in the high 90s. Um, he was 99. Was it 99? Yeah, yes, caught by Stuart Ward yeah. from memory. Um, comes back out, gets the 100. It was a packed house. That was a loud roar, of course. But it certainly brought back memories for the English the second time they'd been out down. But, and Reading a stat, I think it's five or six times now Warner has had a reprieve yes. off a no ball, um, bringing him back to the crease. Um, whatever you said, 94 runs, 95 runs in the entire 2019 Ashes series. So um, I guess one run short of his efforts there. It's certainly a much better start uh, to the summer for him. Prabzen solidified himself atop the order. Yeah, well, I'm hoping Pearson moves him from his maybe good list to the good list uh, because, yeah, he, he looked really promising. I mean, three people have passed 15. Um, and yeah, he, he looked quite good in patches. We, we talked about the bit of luck that he got, but um, yeah, some really promising shots there. And I guess now the opening pressure is back on Marcus Harris, who with that three runs now has the worst opening average in Ashes history. Um, so there'll be big selection um, pressure on him if he can't make runs in the next couple of innings. Um, and maybe that's when you start looking at someone like a Kawaja. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Marnus Labashain put on was 156 with... Um, with Warner, so they were starting to look quite comfortable around the crease. Uh, Lubbershane, I mean, we talked about, talked with Pearson, you'd, you'd perhaps get to see him above Smith, certainly on form, um, uh, you know, compared with how he's been playing the last couple of summers. Um, 
74, looking in control. And then Jack Leach, who it's fair to say hadn't been looking the best of the English bowlers, 31 off his first three overs and 30 off his second and third overs. They decided to attack. We mentioned that's in Warner's nature. Lubbershane um, using his feet, coming down to the pitch of it. Um, uh, a ball that he didn't quite get on top of, looking to cut it um, and, and balloons up uh, where the catch is taken uh, by Mark Wood. Uh, Pearson, 74, what do you make of it? I mean, he just bleeds, runs, Labashain, but really would have liked to go on a bit of a lazy shot and get the, the century. Well, I'll, I'll go back to what Ethan said before about whether I would swap Warner into a different category. So yesterday I said Australia have two good batsmen and two batsmen capable of being good. Uh, what I would say after today is I think Warner has increased from potential to being good. And I think Steve Smith has downgraded into only the potential category. I admit that he should really average much, much higher than his 12, but he was poor. But on the main topic of Labuschagne, yes, Labuschagne was excellent. He looked controlled most of the day. A topic a lot of people won't comment on, I think, is early on in the day when he played a full-blooded drive and nicked one short of slip. I think that wasn't a case of soft hands because it was a full-bodied drive, but rather England failing to bring their slips forward far enough on this gather wicket. So I do think he got lucky at times, as did a lot of the Australian batsmen, Head and Warner, the only other two to pass 15, also experienced heavy luck. But yeah, it was a solid innings. He, it bodes well for him for the rest of the series, I think. Indeed, 16 scores <laughs> of 50 or more in Test match cricket uh, through 19 uh, so, I mean, talk about Marnus Labuschagne as one of the world's best batsmen. Um, you know, who knows where we rank him, but um, he'll be looking for another big summer. Talked of Steve Smith uh, in comparison. That was a failure from what we, you know, come to expect, expect from Smith, especially in Ashes cricket. A ton of runs in 2017-18. We all know about his um, heroics in 2019. 12 off 19. Came out, uh, looked a bit shaky. There was an LB shout. Um, his first of his second delivery uh, coming using the the uh, using his feet coming down the pitch kind of flicking it over over mid wicket uh, it was a kind of an unsettled start I guess in the end he goes as I say for 12 off 19 uh, would get the breakthrough uh, Nick through to Butler um, I mean Pearson said that he wishes it was like that England should host the Ashes well perhaps not because we know Smith seems to be better in England than he is in Australia um, just from what we've seen more recently Um Perhaps what are your thoughts on the Labuschagne kind of Smith's comparison uh, at this point in time? Yep. Well, they've both got very similar career averages, don't they, around that low 60s mark. I think you could probably say Labuschagne might be the more consistent one. Uh, he seems in the last few summers to have been a little bit more reliable. People seem to find something with Steve Smith um, every every summer. I think a couple of summers ago, it was that he was coming in at about two for 400 against Pakistan. He didn't know what to do with himself. New Zealand had that uh, leg side trip trick of bowling in his pads. Um, India managed to get on top of him early on. So you'd probably say Labuschagne might be a bit more consistent, but Steve Smith, when he's at his best, he's the more dangerous one. He's the one who's going to come in at two for 20 and hit the 150 not out or hit the, you know, 900 run series. Um, to me, he just looks like he looked a little busted today, didn't he? Um, came down the wicket a couple of times, didn't really think he had much of a plan. Um, and that might be the case that, uh, yeah, you just need some time to get organised. Um, but, yeah, I think you could back Labuschagne for some immediate runs, but Steve Smith, it might take him a little while to get into the series. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Australia were cruising along. We talked about the big partnership between Labuschagne 
and Warner. I mean, they're two for 189 at one point. They lose Smith. They lose Warner, mentioned for 94. Uh, and then Cameron Green comes out and, and has a forgettable um, first ball, joining Rory Burns in that category, I guess, um, for the series so far. Um, shouldering arms, I guess, uh, takes out the off stump. That was Ollie Robinson Pearson. So there was, a, what, four for six over that stretch. Um, and I guess this is where there was hope for the English fans uh, wrestling back the momentum, certainly at that point. Uh, and a lot of that was largely down to Ollie Robinson. 18 overs, 48 runs, three wickets. Pearson, he, he is your man. Um, he's seen as the new spearhead of the attack, you know, taking over from Jimmy Anderson, all that. Uh, and you'd have to say successful, talk about fitness later on, but successful um, through his first innings in Australia. Yeah, I think as we quite clearly saw today, there's a hierarchy in the English bowlers. I think we saw Robinson and Wood were a class above everyone else almost. I think we saw Robinson bowl pretty much the same way he did in England, actually. He bowls with a high release point, gets a bit of nibble off the seam. He's not particularly rapid, but it's just extremely accurate and unrelenting. Unfortunately, which I imagine we'll come to, there were some fitness issues towards the end, but I think he'll be pretty happy with his first day's work. It's just unfortunate he couldn't be supported by some of the other bowlers in the side. Indeed, leading some to believe why they didn't pick the more experienced duo, um, but Pearson wholeheartedly supported that decision when it was made, so there's no backtracking no, I, I, now. I, 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 I'm butting in on this one. I, I said Broad should have played. I agree Anderson should have been rested. No, I, I won't allow no, you to were tossing up between Leach and him, one. and you said probably good to take Leach in the end. Now he's gone for, what, 11 overs for 95. He's got the, the highest of, economy of, of rate the, ever the, in an Ashes series. Of the options provided, yes. Although I do think even prior to this, I thought Broad should have played over Wokes. But as soon as Wokes became confirmed, I did think we needed a spinner, which has quite obviously backfired. Yeah, but, I mean, as I mentioned, one for 95, and yes, just confirming... Um, from his level was 8.63. That is the highest economy rate with a minimum of four overs ever in Ash's history. So not a nice start. I mean, we did make the point. I think Prabs and I both made it. Spinners, English spinners, they have a tough time. We talked about um, Graham Swan and Monty Panasar and, and um, Ashley Giles. You do have, I believe it's is it Mason Crane, is that right, who's playing? It was Don Bess, one of the two. I know he's in your Australia, uh, the uh, English yeah. Lions squad. Don Bess is the current Don backup. Yeah, he took four for today for the England Lions, the more important game of the day. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, so Robinson uh, and Wood more impressive, less so Stokes, but Stokes, you know, hasn't played a lot of cricket recently. And we know about the limited times for preparation. Um, uh, Travis Head comes to the crease, talk about just before tea in the middle of this kind of slump. Someone who probably has arguably the most pressure on. We know Stark had pressure. He performed well. Harris, not so much, but Head has Kawaja right there behind him, who also had an opportunity to bat today. Didn't do so well. We'll get onto that later. Um, a scratchy sort of start, um, but then with Carey, uh, similar to Warner in some way, I think they want him to play as a more aggressive, again, comes from more white ball pre and play his shots. Um, and suddenly, I mean, he had a couple of overs against Leash and that's good enough for any batsman to get kind of um, motoring in their innings. It was more than a runner ball. Um, uh, ultimately, he gets to his 100. We talk about it. I think on some level, you have to say that uh, when he came in, he did benefit from an old ball, a softball, a slow ball. And also, we know about how the struggling of England's players, the hot conditions, um, not having a lot of preparation time. But uh, regardless, perhaps uh, someone with a lot of scrutiny on his position has his third test 100 in magnificent, in magnificent fashion. Um, you know, more than a runner ball, people comparing it to the Gilchrist 100, for example. 
um, that we saw in Perth all those years ago. But um, what a way, I guess, to to make your imprint on this series and silence the doubters over whether or not you decide to you should be in the side. Yeah, well, it's a, a tremendously impressive innings coming in off a collapse as uh, four for twenty nine, and now to hit. 112 not out of 95 balls, a strike rate of 118. Uh, it's been tremendous batting. I will admit, at the start of his innings, he did look uh, a little bit shaky. He looked vulnerable on uh, early on, and I was uh, sort of hoping that we would have picked Kawaja early doors, but uh, he's managed to prove me and many others wrong. I think he really, once he got through that early stage, he really cashed in on some uh, tired, tiring bowling um, and some good batting conditions, and he's ended up you know, forming some really important partnerships with uh, Kerry Cummins and Stark that have really put Australia, you know, facing, you know, almost a 400 score. It was looking at a stage there that England could possibly limit Australia to, you know, high 200s, 300, and then possibly remain competitive. But Travis Head's really taken the game away and it looks a validated decision to bat him over Kawaja. Yeah, indeed. Reminded me of actually a few Ashes again. <laughs> keep talking about Ashes series in Australia where, just when it seems like England have a bit of momentum, they get four wickets, you get a number six or a number seven stepping up. I remember Andrew Simons did it a lot. Brad Haddon did it a lot um, a couple of series ago. And this time, Travis Head rose the occasion. Alex Carey, um, again, played a more aggressive game, goes for 12, pulling a ball. Oli Pope, a nice catch at mid-wicket. Um, didn't get enough height on it. He goes early and then Pat Cummins did what he always does, which is tries to bat like a top order batsman, you know, very correct, hangs around all day with a, with a low strike rate. I'm not sure why he doesn't go the Mitchell Stark approach um, and just go for it. Um, in the end, Joe Root, who was having to bowl, um, picks him up for 12. And why Joe Root was having to bowl Pearson, getting to the end of the, before we could bring on the new ball game in the 60s and 70s overs, we had Stokes who... Um, we knew about his issues. I think it was when he was going to make a diving save when, or the ball was going for four and you just saw something twing and he, you thought, could there be an injury that they were um, surmising as to that on the broadcast team. Talked about Robinson cramping up late. I think that could have been after the new ball was taken, but certainly some signs. It's always a tough task coming to Australia with the conditions um, and the travel. And we talked about how they haven't had a lot of time to prepare. Um I mean, it's, you could certainly say that Australia might be having similar issues. They haven't played Test match cricket, but we're certainly seeing it a lot more from the visitors um, than the hosts at the moment. Well, I think, as Aggers said on the Test match special today, this test has essentially become a warm-up match for England that they weren't able to get prior to the series. I think so making excuses, as always. Oh, I wouldn't necessarily call it an excuse, but I would say we are clearly short on match fitness. Honestly, I think you may well be as short. The difference is we don't have the batsman that can make you stay out there long enough to be able to problem. see whether you're fit or not. But yes, of course, that's England's problem to solve. But I do think we had clearly some quite severe issues. I think if Leach had performed better, we wouldn't have had issues to that degree in that we could have had a spinner that kept at least that he kept hold of the runs and bowled maybe 20 overs in the day. That could have solved a lot of problems for us. He, the fact that he could only bowl, I believe, 10 and that uh, pace bowlers were limited to essentially spells of three or four overs did mean that when they did get going, they could only build a little bit of momentum and they got tired extremely quickly by the end of the day. It was a tough day in the field for all of them, but they'll, you'll, you'd hope they'll improve as time goes on on that one. Bring on Adelaide for match fitness purposes, I think. Well, indeed. Of course, you've got the uh, day-night test there. Joe Root comes on. I mean, 
I think we've always rated him a little bit more as a part-time than he rates himself, probably. It was a six overs, 29 in the wicket. There was certainly some uh, dubious tactics that we certainly picked up in my house. I'm not sure if, I mean, Paul Rifle, the umpire, picked up on this negative bowling technique, just bowling a foot outside the leg stump um, in a bid to get through overs, which, as Pearson so rightfully pointed out, is against the laws, according to the MCC. Paul Rifle, to his credit, picks him up on it. But ultimately, that was what got the wicket. It was... I mean, it was the plan and it worked uh, a foot outside the leg stump. Pat Cummins didn't have to play at it, you know, feathered it through to, to leg slip. Cat's taken by um, Hamid there, Pearson. It's sort of a tricky one because on one hand it is illegal, but, uh, you know, that was part of the plan and, and Cummins fell for it in the end. Um, and I guess that's a little win for Root, kind of captain well, dismissing we, captain. We, 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 shouldn't, we shouldn't be so quick to disparage Root. In this year, there's only been two captains who have taken a test match five for one of them was, of course, Pat Cummins' last innings, and one of them was, was Joe. I Root, was giving him credit as a bowler. I wasn't in India. Him. So, of course, he's he's not he's not too bad as a bowler. Admittedly, he did bowl quite a few down the leg side that did look quite blatantly mm. purposeful. But I would suggest the Cummins one was after he'd been warned, and he hadn't bowled the majority of deliveries that over too Correct. far down the leg side. I suspect we saw actually with Head played a similar strategy of trying to tuck the ball around the corner to Jack Leach as the ball spun in. So I suspect it was more just a tail-enders shot from a number eight, trying to back time and accompany his batting partner. And it was any dubious tactics from England's captain. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I've heard, I didn't listen to Fox. I should make a point on the commentary. I, I watched Fox the whole of day one, seven the whole of day two, and I've got to give a pretty categoric um, evidence that seven's the way to go. I know there are ads, but... I mean, Pearson and I are talking off air about a lot of English viewers in particular because they have to watch uh, Fox with the simulcast because BD Sports aren't doing it. They they have something they like over. I mean, you're thinking of Atherton and Hussain and all and Gower and, and Botham and all these types. Often less words is more, and you want insightful anal, anal, analysis. Excuse me. Um, you don't get that with Shane Warne or Mark Howard. Um, oh, never has the mute button been so important. Um, and yes, we have to listen to James Brayshaw on seven. That is unfortunate, especially for those of us who follow the football during the winter months as well. Um, but Ali Mitchell, Tim Lane, um, Ricky Ponting, uh, you know, Ian Botham. I mean, I'm a big fan of Damien Fleming. I don't know about you guys, but um, there are a lot of good voices on seven. But going back to it, the, the Fox, I mean, we'll get your opinion on that in a second when you guys answer. But apparently there was a lot of talk from even Michael Hussey and, and Warner and, um, and War. Um, and the like that Australia should have perhaps considered declaring towards the end of the day with the extra half hour after a hundred had been scored by head uh, and then decided to have maybe even a couple of overs at the English with a chance they could um, knock a few wickets over Pete, me personally, I think with three days to go, maybe rain tomorrow, you've got the weekend free. I'd be looking for as many runs as possible. Maybe you don't have to bat again. Uh, we'll start with Prabs. What are your thoughts on that um, situation? Uh, yeah, but did polarize uh, the commentary box. I think, one point that Alan Gordon made was just you take first innings runs um, and with Travis Head batting as well as he is, um, I think, yeah, there's no real need to, to rush any sort of declaration and we can possibly hit another 80 or 90 and try and win this by an innings um, and save some time. I think, yeah, we, we probably could have gotten, you know, maybe three or four overs in, but uh, I think you can almost bat for a, a session if things go well um, and there's so much time left in this match. I, I think, yeah. It's, it's the right decision to bat on. There's no real need for a declaration. Yeah, indeed. Fair enough, Pearson. Obviously, you're a bit biased on this, as we are, but it's well, different because you're an English fan. What do you think? 
if I if I'm thinking from an Australian point of view, I'd say there were two possible ways to go, which obviously were declare and not declare. I think it was all predicated on when Travis Head was to make his hundred. They were at no point going to strand him in the 90s for the sake of a declaration. Had he brought up his hundred at six o'clock or seven o'clock local time, then they would have had a solid four or five overs to bowl at the English. At that situation, I could see them having taken it. Considering when Head did bring up his hundred, it would have left, I think, one or two overs for the Australian bowlers to bowl and probably England picking a night watchman in Jack Leach to open the batting, which I think nullifies the advantage you gain from making that declaration. So I think ultimately it was the right call to not declare. Yep, indeed. Okay, last question for you guys. I mean, seven for 343, leads almost 200. This is what we kind of accustomed to in, in Ashes Brisbane Test Australia with large leads um, at the midway point of the game, and they have been able to continue it on with 2010-11, the exception. Um Kind of two parts of this one. One, what is your prediction? You know, Pearson failed the most on his prediction. Yes, they were four for 50. Pravs and I both had about the two for 150 range. Uh, much exceeding that, of course, we didn't get any rain. Um, so two things. We'll start with you on this one, Pravs. How important is it for England that they don't fold up again in their second innings, even for confidence and looking ahead in the series? How important is it that they can go out there and even just make Australia bat again versus crumbling for an innings loss? Um, how important is that going to be annual prediction for tomorrow? Yeah, well, it'll feel like falling into old habits if they lose by an innings to the Gabba. I think you mentioned the last time England won, they got that draw at the Gabba, which sort of kept them alive in the series. And so uh, it is, yeah, it's going to play a massive mental part if they can uh, keep afloat and just do do themselves some confidence if they get some actual practice in the middle. Um, I think we saw they were, Holly Pope was in by probably the 12th over. Um, and you're not, you're not going to win any of the last four test matches if that keeps happening. Um, so yeah, just important for some of those bats and to, to bat balls, figure out their game plan and uh, figure out how they're going to make big runs and big 300 plus scores against uh, Australia. Um, seven for 343 now. I'd hope Australia can uh, push, you know, 400, maybe 380 mark. Um, and I think England might go just on that losing by an innings mark. I think they'll make something like 250. Um, and it, yeah, it could really go either way. Indeed, expecting a bit of rain tomorrow, so perhaps it does push into Saturday, but it does feel like, um, I mean, I mean, it, not inevitable in Australia. When we've seen that teams, obviously, um, the famous follow-on test in India back uh, in the early 2000s, miracles have happened before. Pierce, I don't really want to make you think that much about England losing by an innings, but um, I tell you what, you, perhaps mentions the 2010 Ashes uh, Brisbane test. If, um, if Hamid... Uh, and Burns and uh, Milan go for one for 500. I'll eat my hat, I tell you that much. Um, what are you looking for in the second innings? Is it just some fight from the batting lineup? Yeah, well, I think there's there's three possible ways in which this test goes. One of, well, I'll, I'll rephrase I think there's four, actually. I think the first is we show no fight, we crumble, innings loss, depression, but at least the players didn't have to listen to Fox News. Um, the second best option is we show some fight, but still lose. That's probably the realist's response to how the remainder of the game will go. If we were a day later, maybe there'd be a bit more optimism around a draw, but I don't see it. Third option would be that draw, but that would need quite a impactful statement from one of our top order batsmen, likely in the form of a double hundred to bat us at least into day five. Or 
we can take the optimist view and suggest that England will mount a major fight back and gain a lead over 200 that Australia just can't compete. There's, there's many, there's, there are many people who claim England are just short of match practice and that once we're acclimatised, we'll be a formidable force. And that's what I think is the case. I think we may have to give up this test, but just wait for us to be ready in Adelaide. And as Payne said, we can't wait for you to get to the Gabba. We can't wait for you to get to the Adelaide Oval. The word delusion comes to mind. <laughs> Okie dokie. Now, the two of you are off tomorrow, so we won't have to hear any uh, any more of that sort of rhetoric. I'm actually off on Saturday as well. So considering the way this test is going, probably won't be us three again. So uh, thank you for your insights so far this test. Yeah, it's no been good. Hopefully we have a comeback and I'm back on Sunday to talk us through to the win. Indeed, and if not Adelaide, um, the two gentlemen here with me planning on going to all the rest of the tests, so there will be another element to um, there, hopefully for England, there's a bit less crying and a bit more positivity um, when he is live at the ground. Okie dokie, I'll see you back here with some other guests tomorrow, hopefully if we get um, some play in. Uh, after two days' play, Australia commanding 196-run lead with three wickets still in hand. Bye for now.